Royal Dudes. Welcome back to your weekly weather update. Uh, looks like the right now it's 94 degrees, feels like 99. It's partly cloudy, and it looks like it might hit 77 tonight. And hopefully that's a decent a decent w- weather for you and your activities. And welcome back to Zero Credits, the show where we talk about things. My name's Henry. And my name's Temperate John. And together we're Henry and Temperate John coming at you to discuss the weathery weather of the cultural happenings of that there's zeitgeist. Uh, partly cloudy. Now, is weather technically part of the zeitgeist? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's on everybody's mind, or at least the top of their head if it's raining. <laughs> <laughs> weather... Is falls into the realm of small talk, and the zeitgeist is so much larger than that. Yeah, there's never, there, there never has been, and never will be weather that's severe enough to talk about for a long time. That's not what I meant. <laughs> that is the exception that proves the rule. Only when weather is so large or so it hits an area it never hits, like Hurricane Sandy hit New York City or whatever. Only then does it become part of the zeitgeist. At that point, honestly, I think in the public consciousness, it no longer becomes weather. I don't consider Hurricane Katrina to be a particularly bad day for weather. Right, right. It, yeah, big, big weather like that gives the rest of weather a bad name. Yeah, it's like you, all, every other piece of weather is over here, and then that weather is... In a, I'm doing like a visual thing... What I'm saying is major hurricanes that destroy the lives of thousands of people are bad. I don't know if this is news to our listeners. But what a bold, controversial it. take. John, I really, you can't take such bold stances on this podcast that we share because you're representing both of us. You're right. You're right. Uh, Henry, how do you feel about weather that kills thousands of people? Uh, we have confirmed that I am against it. Uh, and I always represent the other side, so I'm also against it. There we go. Handshake. I I haven't seen you in months, so I don't know who, what pretending like I'm shaking your hand is doing for anybody. You know, I, I don't think, you know, forest fires, you don't think that's just a particularly bad fire day. I guess there aren't typically fire days, though. No, the only fire days I know of are when they test a fire alarm at school and you have to go outside and stand in a line. Uh, So that happened at my work where the fire alarm started going off and everyone had to go outside. And uh, there there was no smoke or anything. So we're like, oh, it's a fire drill. It was not a fire drill. The, uh, The most I heard was one of the people evacuating the building said they had a candle. And that was all I ever heard about it. Interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting that, you know, going to school, they had the foresight to say, like, we need to pr- we need to practice what happens in, a, in an emergency. And, like, in school, I know you were homeschooled, but, like, in school, you're only in, like, a building for, like, four years or so. And you might have four fire drills or around that much time, you know, around that many things and in, in, in during your stay. But then, like, you get to a job where, like, you're going to be there for many years. 
And then the only time like you practice these things are when they happen. Yeah, they they do not have routine fire drills. I know that uh, for my work, when we were when the actual fire alarms went off and we had to file out, we couldn't use the elevators. Obviously, elevators are a no go in a fire, so we had to go down the stairwell. Uh, it took us like fifteen minutes to get from the top of the building to the bottom because everyone was using the same stairwell. And my overwhelming thought was, this is not a good system. If this happened, we would be dead. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, It just goes to show you that people care more about the lives of kids than they care about the lives of adults. And that's why no schools are opening in the country right now, because everyone cares about kids so much. Oof. Everyone? Ugh. I don't know about you, Henry. Yeah? But that allusion to the opening of schools made me open a refreshing alcoholic beverage. I also just so happened to open a refreshing alcoholic beverage only because it was getting cold in my hands and I needed to be moving it. And uh, what do we have this this day, Henry? I decided to uh, mix it up a little, John. You know, I think I've, I've followed into like a drinking rut as far, far as the podcast has gone. I feel like maybe people are, are thinking I'm a little one note with my drinking. So this, this week I, I branched out and uh, I got a little brewery from Texas. Uh, you know, I, I think I might have had some of their some of their drinks before on the podcast. Uh, it, they're five one two Brewing Company, and I've got their pecan porter, uh, which is a robust porter brewed with organic Texas pecans. And uh, you know, it's just kind of a neat little factoid. I don't think I've ever said that on the podcast before. Uh, I've never heard the like. I personally am returning to the well. Uh, as everyone on the podcast knows, I tend to drink the same things over and over again. It gets kind of gets kind of bland. It gets kind of rote. I am drinking a Pint House Pizza Electric Jellyfish. Oh, that's one of your favorite beers. It is, I think, my genuine actual favorite beer. Uh, the difficult thing about Electric Jellyfish is you can only get it on site or on draft. So you cannot just go to your favorite grocery store like a Randall's or a Wegmans or a Tesco. Uh, you you have to get it from the source. And thankfully on Sunday, I found myself at one Pint House Pizza, so I was able to get a four-pack. That's pretty great. On a Sunday, no less. Oh, such a good beer. It's like, it's, it's, a, it's a hazy IPA, but it's dry, but it's funky. It doesn't taste super clean. Oh, it's really good. Man, I miss restaurants. I miss restaurants, too. Uh, I will say, this is something that I was talking about with um, with someone in one of my many socially distanced uh, social gatherings, uh, because you know I'm a socialite at heart. And we were discussing that in this time, there's a spectrum of people who are the most safe, and there are the people who are the least safe. And I think this spectrum is not like a lot of spectrums you might see in, in the real world where both sides are bad. I think kind of people who are as safe as possible, you can't really say those people are assholes because they are doing something to protect themselves, their loved ones and strangers. Uh, but then people who are on the extreme opposite side, the not safe at all people, I think we could all collectively call those people assholes. Right. Um, but being honest with yourself about where you fall on that spectrum, I think, is pretty important. I think I'm kind of in the middle. I think I could definitely be safer than I am. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. 
I'm at the point with my own life and my own decisions as of late where I'm kind of taking a step back and I'm like, have I been overly cautious? Have I been freaking out when I could have relaxed a little? And like, there are people who are certainly taking it more overly cautious than I am. Like I'll still go through a drive through restaurant and I'll still pick up groceries and what have you when there are people who are like, who haven't left their house at all. But I, I, I don't know. It's a one thing that we we keep acknowledging, but not reconciling with, is the fact that there is a fatigue associated with this whole coronavirus thing. Where, like, at, at first, yeah, everyone was on the same page and taking it very seriously, being very safe, being quarantined, and we all were in the same boat, so we we're all joking about it. And then, as time went on a set of people stopped being on the same page and then another group and another group and another group to the point where like everyone has kind of collectively moved on in their own ways, leaving people like me who are still sort of hunkered down starting to kind of question their own sanity. So for my part, I, I was definitely more on your side of things and potentially even more cautious for a very long time. And I feel like I did end up kind of breaking bad as far as safety goes. Now I don't go out on party barges or on the beach full of people, uh, but like every two weeks or something, uh, I will go on a bike ride with people who have been socially distancing. And we'll go to a restaurant like a Pint House Pizza and all sit about six feet apart and be respectful and wear masks and all this good stuff. And I have been known to frequently go to grocery stores. Uh, so I, I think that I'm definitely... And I have been to restaurants. Some of those I regret more than others. <laughs> I just went for fun. Uh, and... I don't know, I feel like those kind of experiences are pretty central to me, and without those I would be so very miserable. But maybe that in itself is selfish. Well, yeah, I mean, going to restaurants and, like, sitting in them and experiencing the atmosphere and the fun. Everyone's out having a good time, eating food and drinking drinks and seeing people in different environments. Like, yeah, that's... I, I didn't realize that was such like a big part of just living here in Austin because we have so many cool restaurants to go to. And now that it's just like, yeah, you can get takeout, but you don't really get the experience of going to the place. The food's still good, but you can't also eat with people. It's just different. A, it, it is really different because I know that uh, my favorite place in Austin, Black Star, I went to right after they opened back up because I try to use any excuse I can to give them money. Right. And we were just kind of sitting outside and they delivered our food in to-go containers. And there was just a weird vibe and it felt like a, a simulation of social dining, uh, which kind of bummed me out. Uh, but also, if I go to a restaurant and it's a normal experience, that's terrifying. Right. Uh, so, so, so what's the middle ground? How do we feel good about this? Maybe the answer is we just don't feel good about this until things are a little more normal. Right, right, for sure. Like, I, I feel like it just needs more time, but, like, mentally, so many people have just moved on. Mm -hmm. uh, going back, let's say, this must be, let's say two to three weeks ago, uh, every Friday, my, oh, God, Jamie and I, uh. 
We we have this. So we were using Fridays to be like, hey, we got through another week. Let's support a local business and like order order takeout and you know celebrate that. Hey, you know, one week closer to all this blown over, and and that sort of just become became more of like a. If I don't do something to mark the end of the week, I'm going to go insane. But we still, uh, you know, support local businesses. And we've got this uh, Tex-Mex restaurant that we really like. So we ordered to go from there. And we went to pick it up. And there was a line out the door of people waiting to get in to eat in the restaurant. Oh, no. And just seeing these people lining, like lined up waiting to get in just was like, I, I guess I guess people think it's over and like I look at the numbers in Austin and we're doing compared to the rest of the state we're actually doing really well and it's trending downward like we're nowhere near where we were in March or April but we seem to be at least on the other side of this this large spike that we went through and so it's like I, I have a weird I'm wrestling with the identity of who I am in quarantine with the idea that one day this will be over and I don't know. How to? Because the reality is we're nowhere out of the woods yet. Yeah, we, we have a very long road ahead of us. And I feel like there was a time not too long ago, maybe a month and a half ago, where people were not taking it seriously. You could tell that the, the overwhelming uh, desire in people was, I'm sick of quarantine. I don't want to do it anymore. I'm just going to go back to my normal life. And that's when a lot of the very Karen-y, vitriol all those like really awful videos started coming out of people yelling at people for telling them to wear masks and it was also at that time that we paid a second visit to one of our favorite restaurants in austin the first time we went there i probably told this story on the podcast but it was like a perfect experience it was like sanitized everyone was super far apart it was great the second time we went during this wave of people being over it it was packed like every table had six plus people at it. I felt bad for the people who were working there. It was loud. It was awful. And as long as we cannot end up back there, I think I'll be happy knowing that this is going to take a little while. Uh, just as long as we don't end up with like the, the terror crowds anymore. Right. And, uh, it, it, you know, it's, it's, there's a reality setting in for a certain amount of people where we're facing the the reality that the world has changed and that there is no going back. It's not there's not going to be like a return to normal. There's going to be a return to a new normal that it that is just wholly and utterly different from what it was before. Mhm. And to a large percentage of the population, that is a scary thing, and they will do everything within their their panic-driven power to try to make it as normal as possible. But to do so is just to endanger everyone around them. And I, I don't, like, I, yeah, you, I, you I just feel like I was one of those people who very who fought against the idea of a new normal very hard. Uh, I do not like the idea of new normal because I want normal normal. Right, right. right. Normal normal's fun. I also uh, want a normal normal. There's comfort in things going back to the way they were. I, I did hear a pretty convincing argument, though, that there is no normal. Every day is a new normal because every day uh, results in micro-adjustments 
to social interactions, uh, either on the individual or the mass scale, as a result of various stimulus. It's just that this is a big one of those. So we have to be okay with once all of this is quote unquote over, we might have the new version of the flu that's very bad, but we'll have better tools available to fight it. Uh, And also people who are sick or who are afraid of being sick uh, during times where this virus is more prevalent will probably be wearing masks. Uh, Now, of course, these are changes. These are new normals that a lot of Asian countries went through years ago. Uh, and, and the kind of societies that they live in had to become new normals after, you know, massive immune or respiratory illnesses killed hundreds of thousands or millions of people. But it's, it is difficult to imagine what the definition of normal will be once this is over, just because we don't know what it's going to look like. Yeah, and we're still in that transition period, you know? Every like as much as people are talking about you know when COVID is over or when on the other side of this and all this other stuff, the reality is like we're nowhere near the end. So let's stop thinking like that. Let let's just keep keep waiting it out, keep going as, as, as you know one day at a time as we can, and see what's going to be on the other side. But know that it's not for another like one to two years. Yeah, it's uh. Something that changed my perspective pretty considerably is when a a friend I have who has a, a number of like comorbidities and contributing factors um, to the virus, meaning that if she contracted it, she is most likely to experience severe complications or die. Uh, she she's in like the worst category to get it, and uh, even she was like. Knowing that this would go on so long, she's comfortable, like, going to a restaurant or hanging out with people and sitting six feet apart and having masks and, like, still being able to live some semblance of her life, even knowing that if this thing were to happen, she would probably experience consequences that are significantly worse than the average person. Uh, so in, in my mind, I rationalized it as if this person can feel that way, surely I can have some normalcy in my life. I don't know if that's the right way to treat it, but that is an excuse that I've used. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if it makes sense if you can rationalize your actions against the actions of a person who would, you know, suffer worse than if you would would get it. I don't know. It's just something I think about. I don't. I don't have any final thoughts or anything. I'm not. I don't think I'm going to come to a conclusion or anything like that. But you know, I, I think maybe if to wrap this conversation up is you have to find your own meaning. You're, you're not going to. Yeah, you, you got to find a way to keep going your own way. And for you, it's what you just said. And for me, I still have to determine what that is. I, I think everyone's boundaries for this. I'll leave with an I'll leave this part of the conversation with an anecdote. Like I said, I I try to bike hard. Also, I'm a research person. I tend to read way too much and then immediately try to change my life. So when I was reading that of course, your chances of surviving if you contract the virus are uh, pretty much literally correlated to like how much fiber you eat, how much time you spend outside, how what your BMI is, though that's a converse relationship, an inverse relationship. 
uh, I started immediately thinking, well, I have to lose weight, eat more, <laughs> eat more fruit, and I need to exercise way more. So I try to do a, a reasonably hard bike ride every week. And I have found a group of people to do it with to keep me accountable, which is great. And we ended up at this pizza restaurant and I got a uh, cheeseless pizza, uh, which is very good. And we were all seated about six feet apart on a big bench table. And someone said, oh, that looks so good. Can I just, and reached for the pizza. And mm. I'm not a rude person, but I didn't even consider this a rude action. I just pulled it away and I was like, no, th- no, thanks. <laughs> like, wow. This is, that, that was someone making, that was someone putting their chips on the table being like, these are my boundaries. Do you accept them? And just like we have to do in every facet of our life with people's boundaries, we have to either accept or reject those boundaries based on our own comfort level. Uh, right, right. I think that you can, within reason, accept people's boundaries unless they're being like intentionally harmful dickheads. Uh, but you know, don't let people endanger you if it's not your comfort level. Don't eat my pizza. <laughs> and, uh, the, the funny thing is, uh, you know, that in that story, this was all pre coronavirus. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm actually very rude. Uh, I cannot stand the idea of people eating my food. However, from my understanding, pizza is like one of the most like coronavirus safe foods you can eat. Oh, Why? Because it's cooked at a really high temperature and doesn't require any handling after they take it out of the oven. Oh, it's good to know. I now yeah. know what I'm going to eat for the rest of my days. Pizza forever. I have a friend who's a doctor and all she's eaten since this started is wings and pizza. Because they're the two things that are cooked really hot and no one touches while they're cooking them. Wow. And that's a doctor. That's a doctor. Yeah, she believes that having sex with a demon causes STDs. Oh, no. Uh, you're, you're friends with that doctor? Yeah. Um, well, I'm friends with two doctors. I'm friends with that doctor, and also I'm friends with the doctor from Plandemic. Oh, good, good, good. Uh, yeah. Remind me to not take medical advice from you anymore. They're my. Have you heard of hydroxychloroquine? Uh, uh, yes, I have. Have you considered uh, eating it? Why would I eat it? When You take medicine. You don't eat medicine. Uh, let food be thy medicine, and do not have dream sex with demons. All right. Okay. Uh, weird. All right, let's pivot hard. Yeah, unfortunately, once again, listeners, the Zero Credits podcast with Henry and John does not have an answer to the coronavirus, but we will not stop searching. Yeah, we're like that. Uh, we're like Quantum Leap. Yeah, every episode we we leap into a new possible solution for coronavirus, uh, and then we learn a little bit about the 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 solution for coronavirus we leaped into, and maybe a little bit of ourselves. And what's Ziggy's deal? Oh, I I I, I apologize. I meant Knight Rider. Oh, so <laughs> every I actually have never seen Knight Rider. Neither have I. I just thought it'd be funny if I. Throw a wrench at you. <laughs> the coronavirus is a talking car named Kit. Right. And there's a guy named Michael Knight. Yeah, Michael Knight. You know, it's funny that the car wouldn't be named Knight because he rides Knight. Right. Nobody rides Michael Knight. Yeah, that's maybe what they're trying to say is the car is mentally riding him. Oh. The car is using him to get around. Michael Knight's like, stop writing me, Kit. I'm on the case. 
What does kit stand for? Car intelligence talk? <laughs> Imagine the scientist. It stands for car, but what else? <laughs> what does it do? It solves complex problems. Intelligent. What else can it do? <laughs> Hello, Michael. Talk. <laughs> we got it. Kit. We nailed it. We thought it was going to stand for computerized um, internet troll. <laughs> That's, That's right. We came kit. up with the acronym and then invented whatever the acronym would be. Right. Apparently there's going to be a Knight Rider movie. Sure. Is it going to cost $30 like Mulan? Holy shit, that's what I wanted to talk about. Woo, we did it. We found the through line. We did it. Disney Plus, finally. Reactivate your subscriptions that you canceled after you watch Hamilton. Yeah, so it was announced last week and we didn't get a chance to talk about it. That's right, reactivate your Disney Plus subscriptions that you you deactivated after you watched just the Gina Carano episodes of The Mandalorian again. So it was announced last week. That's right. That Start up your Disney Plus subscriptions again after you specifically open it up to see the censored butt in Splash. Last week uh, it was announced that Disney Plus, or Disney, I guess the whole stupid company, uh, was going to be releasing Mulan on the Disney Plus, which was like, oh, hey, yay! But then it was attached with another price tag. On top of the seven ninety nine that you're already paying to access the service, you also have to pay thirty dollars for the privilege of watching Mulan, the new one, the live action one that was filmed. It feels like five years ago. Yes, the live action Mulan, which filmed uh, almost for its entire duration a series of fun comic relief characters to match the tone of the original and then cut them all because they wanted to make the movie more serious. Right. The the live-action Mulan that, uh, you know, the story of Mulan is about uh, a young daughter who poses as a man to, to save her father from having to go re-enlist in the, arm, the Emperor's army. And uh, so this version, for some reason, you know, it's a woman... Posing as a man, but she proves that she can she can hold her own and fight just as well as any of the men and, and protect her country. And so, for some reason, in this version, they add a a a, a woman villain. Uh, yes. Well, I mean, the woman villain is uh, what's the name of the original villain in Mulan? Shang Tsung or whatever. Well, it's a it's a Mongol, right? A Mongolian. Yeah, I don't. No, uh, but you know the the villain which they added is just you know uh, it's weird that they did this. It's weird that they added a character just so they could cast like the most famous uh, female actor in mainland China. Why would they do that? Did they have to? Why would they? I just can't imagine. Because to me, it feel it feels really reductive of Mulan's triumph. She she triumphs over this male villain who doesn't actually even care that she's a woman in the original. Like in the animated show, like it's revealed to him that she's a woman, and he's like, "Oh, the warrior from the mountain, I recognize you." And it does. It's not even like, "Oh, I have to fight a girl" or anything. It's just like he recognizes her her might and her power, and, and you know, continues to fight her. But in this one, it feels like they added a woman so that she can fight a woman. I think they added a. I 
I refer to her as the Prophet Witch. Because it, it was for China? Yeah, they're, they're going to clean up in China. They, they made the calculated decision. Uh, now, what do you think of the price point? Yes, this is what I wanted to talk about. $30 to watch one film for a oh, determinable... to jump back, there's no Mushu. Just wanted to let everybody know in case they're about to go buy it. Don't. There's no Mushu anyway. No Mushu. Yeah, no Mushu, no buy. So other movies have come out during this quarantine time to video on demand. Like Trolls Ward... War, what the fuck is that? It's like my It's like my mouth can't speak. Trolls World Tour came out a while ago. It was one of the first to embrace this straight-to-on-demand service model where you pay a nominal fee and you get like 24 hours or 48 hours to watch it as many times as you want. But for it's, Trolls War, World Tour, it, it was like 1999. It's so unbelievable to me that ever since all this started, the only movie anyone ever uses as an example of how media has changed and new release movies have to come out on rental digital rental services is always Tro- Trolls World Tour. Not The Invisible Man or King of Staten Island. No, huh? it's always what? Trolls World Tour every time. Well, these other these other movies didn't make headlines. Like Trolls World Tour made national headlines and even started a war between the studio and like theaters because oh, theaters a, were a like Trolls World War. Yeah, a Trolls World War where theaters like AMC and other brands were saying we're no longer going to show what what studio is it? DreamWorks or something? I think it's Universal. Oh wow. Like, we're no longer going to show Universal movies in our theater because they're deciding to just release them on these these on-demand service platforms. Uh, so, I mean, that's why it's in my head, because, like, it, it, it touched something in the cultural zeitgeist to, to get national media attention, whereas The Invisible Man and The King of Staten Island just had, you know, a Scientologist and then also that guy from Saturday Night Live in them. Yeah, uh... It's, I think Trolls World Tour is an easy exemplar to use because it, it, it on its release, like all uh, dog shit animated movies now, uh, it would have made a trillion million dollars because people would take their drooling children to see it, uh, which is why uh, stayed movie chains like AMC fought back so hard against it. Imagine if... Disney said, oh, Frozen 3 is only being released on digital. Uh, well, I, I guess Disney would have enough power to make theaters do whatever they want. Uh, but theaters have pulled that shit a few times, and I think that the more it gets thrown in theaters' faces, the better. Because even though I love theaters, they shouldn't have a monopoly on how people release things. It's a weird back-and-forth relationship. Like, Disney is so big, they can pull... The stunt, like, if you want the latest Star Wars movie, you got to keep it on your biggest screen for 10 weeks. And if you don't agree, you don't get the movie. And, and you know, so that's bad. And then there's the opposite happening where AMC is like, yeah, we're not going to show any Universal movies from here on out because you're, you're circumventing us and we're not seeing any of that money. And that's bad. It's like there's no good guys in this fight. There's only one good solution, that's to release Mulan for $30. Right. 
So back to the yeah, back to the thing at hand, the price point. Trolls World Tour and and similar movies of its ilk, uh, like King of Staten Island and other uh, whatever the hell's out right now. The problem with, with with the example being Trolls World Tour is like I know that came out, and I don't know any other movies that came out. It, it it does make it feel very kind of amorphous because I don't know. I don't know if anyone's listened to this podcast for a long period of time, but I like movies and I especially like the theater going experience. It's a thing that I've had as an almost at least monthly tradition in my life since I was a small, small child. I love seeing movies in theaters, but when you're not immersed in that world of seeing new releases when they don't have the big like tentpole releases around movie theaters, it kind of starts to feel like everything's just a show on Netflix that showed up out of nowhere. Right, right. Yeah, except no, I, of course, Trolls World Tour. I don't know if you, if anyone listening to this podcast over the years has picked up on the fact that I absolutely love the shit out of movies, but part of that is I love going to the movies. Uh, e- there was a time on this podcast where I adamantly believed there were only four movies a year that were worth seeing in the theaters. And, but then when I moved to Austin and I found this Alamo draft house place, I became a complete convert of like, go to the movies as much as possible because it's worth it. But, uh, I don't know if it's worth it to pay 20 bucks to watch a movie on my own TV. It's a good TV. But, I mean, there's there's no there's no people running around asking you for drinks, and there's no there's no you know messages before the movie. That's like if anyone talks during this movie, we will come up to you with a loaded pistol and shoot you in the face, and you will be dead. Something that I, I feel like I feel like something that people aren't really articulating in the current time, which is why digital is such a strange way to watch things, is because the reason why we pay such a premium, uh, typically in Austin, it's about $14 a ticket, $11, $14 a ticket, depending. Uh, Why we pay this premium for these services and why it feels so weird for everything to be digital, and I would argue why everything in the pandemic feels so weird, is that we as human beings get a tremendous amount of intangible psychic utility from being in an event and being in the same thing as other people. Like, the, the commitment to... The commitment to an experience has massive utility in terms of money that we're not really thinking about, which is why I watched King of Staten Island or Palm Springs or whatever uh, on my TV, and I liked both of those movies quite a bit, uh, but I badly wish they were in a theater because in a theater you feel it. You feel that you've committed to this thing. This is not something you're watching. This is something you've elected to onboard onto your already busy life. You open the doors for a second to let King of Staten Island in and the doors shut behind it. Whereas this is just another one of the thousands of hours of moving pictures accompanied with sound that play across your TV since quarantine started. It's just a different color and sound than the other ones. Right, right. Like, there is a ritual in going to the movies. Like, you know, you buy your tickets online beforehand or whatever. But then, like, 
you got to get dressed. You leave the house. You drive to a physically different location. You arrive. You go through the, the ritual of finding the seats. And you sit down and, and, you know, you order food or whatever. But, like, there's the pre-roll that's showing that, that you know, is catered to the movie. And then there's just the pageantry of, like, these are the movies that are coming out. So you can come back and repeat this ritual. And there's this the loud sound that's always perfectly balanced so that it's not too loud and not too soft. You don't have to do the thing that I always have to do when I watch a movie at home, which is turn it up, turn the volume up during the dialogue and lower it during the loud set pieces. Like you don't have, there's not that frustration and like absolutely all of the people around you in the theater have also gone through the same ritual. So there's this, this shared experience. Even if you don't even talk to anyone else in the theater, you're like, we're all experiencing this together and that's really neat. And we're going to go out into the world of our own opinions of this movie but the thing is, like, for this time, we're all united by this activity. And there's something that hits differently when you can see the people rather than just knowing in the back of your mind that you're not the only one watching Palm Springs in that moment. But you don't have that physical evidence that other people are watching it. You just have the people in the room. And, like, Palm Springs is really enjoyable. So you turn to the person you watched it with and you say, hey, I like that movie. And they're like, yeah, I really like that too. And then you move on. Like, But there's no evidence that other people watched it with you and enjoyed it too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the electricity that you read off of strangers. Like, I have or had uh, the Alamo Season Pass. I also had that. I watched a ton of movies. One of the last ones I watched before all this happened was Bad Boys for Life. An okay movie. Uh, and I watch it in a theater with maybe six or eight people in it because this was still when I worked a job that I did not work on Fridays and I would just go see a movie every Friday. And being able to see and hear and know that everyone in that room was experiencing this movie with me gave me uh, such a charge. Uh, and to be honest with you, and I'm sure there are people who would disagree with me, seeing a movie in a theater with other people is the best way you can ever experience it because you will never experience it that way again. Right. Even if you like the movie and you buy it for your home theater, the home theater doesn't come with a bunch of other people who also bought it, who watch it with you when you watch it. It's like uh, Baby Driver. I saw Baby Driver a couple days after it came out, sight unseen. I knew I liked Edgar Wright movies, but no one had recommended it to me. I just saw it. Uh, and it was electric and perfect, and everyone in the theater was experiencing it at the same time. And now at this point, if I load up my copy of Baby Driver, it's to bring back those memories of experiencing this thing for the first time. As every time we watch a movie, at least a little bit of that is to enjoy our ritual of having enjoyed this movie, uh, which is why we all pay like 30 plus dollars to see movies. Right. When you're paying that price... In a theater, you're paying, not directly, but a side effect is you're paying for that connection and you're paying for the the atmosphere and for the privilege of going through these rituals that we're talking about. And then also you're paying for the movie, but like paying the same price to watch it digitally just doesn't, to me, it hits differently. It, it doesn't, I'm, I don't want to do that. And I assume... 
it's it's safe to say that you do not agree with the thirty dollar price point. I did. I, I will be honest. I don't agree with the twenty dollar price point of Trolls World Tour, which, as we have discussed, is the pinnacle of movies released during twenty twenty. Absolutely, it is the one the history books will talk about. Uh, but I, I can share two different perspectives. Number one. I, when I first heard the $30, thought it was a repugnant fee to charge for watching a movie on digital. Because who wants to watch a movie on your fucking telephone? Uh, right, right. But the the darkest... Well, I'll share another thing first. I brought this up to my girlfriend, who quite, liked Disney, quite likes Disney movies and enjoys Mulan quite a bit. And I framed it like, the new Mulan is out, it costs $30. Her response was... What? The new Mulan is out? They're going to release the new Mulan? And I was like, yeah, it's $30. And she's like, you're saying that to me like this is a barrier. <laughs> you're saying that to me like the $30 is going to stop me from watching the new Mulan. So obviously there will be a significant portion of people who think that the $30 is nothing. Yeah, no, that, that's the most surprising thing is like when it was announced, the comments were like, you're, you know on board with it and they're they were like you know well at least one person who i follow on twitter was like you know forget mulan but like if they did black widow that black widow movie i'm I'm totally there and and in my mind there's no movie i would want to watch enough that i would be willing to to pay the same price at, at as it would be to own the movie to watch it one time in a 24 to 48 hour period. Now, of course, there is the darkest possible future. A future we narrowly avoided, Henry. And a future, I believe, you, along with me, helped to defeat. What did we do? I don't know if you're familiar with the Xbox Connect. Oh, right. The, uh, the camera. Yes, it was an infrared camera for the Xbox 360 that would create a picture of your room by mapping out and shooting out like thousands of little infrared dots to create like a rough 3D image of what your living room looked like. It was like relatively early kind of VR haptic feedback stuff. There was a patent and a plan for the Xbox Connect that... It would count the number of heads in a room when a movie started and then charge you the price of the movie per detected face. That's horrifying. Yeah, I I don't want that. I don't want that to be a thing at all. So it could be worse because really at this point, let's say you get three people together. You're all just paying 10 bucks for Mulan. That's a decent discount. What I'm saying is this incentivizes now, at a time when this has no negative uh, consequences whatsoever, to pack as many people into one room as you possibly can <laughs> to bring down your total net cost of Mulan. Definitely at a time <laughs> when that should be absolutely what people are doing. <laughs> I will say that I have seen posts about, like, Mulan watch parties, so I think this might have a net negative effect. Right, right. But I guess, like, if you get, let's just say, I don't know, we'll keep it sane. You get six people to watch Mulan, and, like, maybe you charge them, you know, five bucks a piece, and you you eat your five dollars or whatever. So, you know, 
that that seems reasonable. Five bucks to see a movie. Yeah, the five dollars, and of course, you know, if you have a friend who's a known super spreader, maybe charge them a little bit more. Uh, they can watch. They can watch from outside. <laughs> yeah, uh, where set, the super spreaders belong. Yeah, you set the TV up so that like they can see it from outdoors, and they, that's how they can watch it. Yeah, yeah. I, I I disagree with. I don't disagree with the home video. The, the you know the the release to digital video on demand or whatever. I don't disagree with that because I feel like for a lot of people, they made some good use of it. You know, for Trolls World Tour, I think when it, at a time when a lot of kids were being told that they had to stay indoors and they, you know, they couldn't really comprehend why, they at least got to see a movie they were looking forward to, you know, and that helped them cope for a while. So I don't disagree with the video on demand home release thing. And I don't even necessarily disagree with the $20 price point. But I think the $30 price point is a bit too much. It's it's like Disney saw what other people were doing and their immediate thought was, we can do that, but we can charge more because we're Disney. Yeah, I think the danger here is that movie ticket prices by nature, by nature of the fact that they are delivered by... Uh, a somewhat impartial third party, which is a which is a theater, which has to have standards ticket prices for everything. Since that rule is not set up for digital, places that have uh, movies that are more of a commodity will charge more outside of some kind of regulation on the on the digital provider's end, which I guess would be none since it's Disney Plus. Uh, so. I don't think it's unreasonable to think that if quarantine lasts much longer, you might see new Disney releases at 50 or $60. And, and, you know, for that, like, if it just keeps increasing like that, at that point, to me, it just be like, 60 bucks is a video game, which is hours and hours of content, whereas a Disney movie can't be more than two and a half. It just becomes, it, there's no way I could ever justify renting a movie for that much money. Yeah, but we're not their demographic, Henry. The demographic is parents whose arms are thoroughly tied by their newly homeschooled children. And I, I think that Disney could keep increasing this price point until they see pushback and a significant decrease uh, in, in revenue from these. And then they'll say like, oh, well, this movie is now on sale for $10 less. And then they start to ease back a little bit. Right. Like Disney's already in a kind of a precarious situation. They 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 posted their first quarterly loss in like twenty years this past quarter. So the, you know the, I, I get why they're doing it because they're they're feeling hurt. You know, in, in the wallet where they care. The and only so they're place like, they care. The only yeah the only place they care. And so like we got to recoup losses. You know, nobody wants to go to Disney World even though we promoted that everyone's coming to Disney World. And you know we lost all of our Marvel revenue for the year, so we got to make up. We got to make up costs, and the only way we know how, extra ten bucks to see Mulan, which is another live action remake of a animated classic. And those, for some reason, break bake bake break the bank, even though like they never live up or measure up to the original. What are you talking about? Have you seen John Favreau's The Lion King? I absolutely did not. That sure is the same movie. 
the thing, like, I saw the trailers and stuff, and from what I could tell from the trailers, it's like, what if we remade the exact same movie, only you can't see any of the facial expressions because they look very realistic, and animals don't have facial expressions? I'm just saying that I don't know if my girlfriend is going to purchase Mulan, but I'm going to hold out. I will not purchase another Disney movie until the live-action remake of Atlantis comes out. Don't hold your breath. What about the live-action remake of Emperor's New Groove with Terrifying Llama? (laughs) This summer, Jon Favreau is at it again. (laughs) David Spade, the world's dirtiest comedian, reprises his role as Cusco? Cusco. Cusco, except now he's a photorealistic llama. Yeah. Patrick Warburton reprises his role as Krunk, even though he's like 68. And he voices a CGI human we created. Oh, God. We created a CGI Patrick Warburton. No. To be voiced by Patrick Warburton. No, that... (laughs) We've digitized the entire personality of Patrick Warburton. To play Krunk in The Emperor's New Groove, directed by Jean Favreau. There's there's footage of Patrick Warburton delivering lines, and then someone else who is not Patrick Warburton doing the face mocap for the lines. Right. To be put on the CGI version (laughs) of Patrick Warburton. It's Andy Serkis doing the mocap. Of course. He's crawling all over the place. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh man yeah i just uh, movies i don't are over movies they might be over which is a shame i love movies but you know the theater's not going to be the same and the fact that hollywood right now is delayed a year at best like all of the movies that were scheduled for this year are just not being made and like when they can start getting made they're not going to be released until the editing's done it's like, we're, we're a year or two out from movies being a thing again. We gotta enjoy what we can. So maybe buy Mulan, I don't know. No, don't. If, oh, what? Or do. I was gonna say, if you want to arrange a socially distant movie night, and that way only one of us has to purchase Mulan, and the other can, like, buy drinks or whatever... I would be up with the, for that, but I also don't want to put any pressure on anybody, you know? We would have to get a projector so we yeah. can be outside. Yeah. So we can just sweat our asses off while watching a movie. Perfect. Half that movie takes place in the snow. We'll feel very cool. <laughs> I So I've, I've taken to in the evenings, I say evenings, like right after I get, quote, off work, I, uh, I'll, I'll go sit on the patio for about an hour and just do some writing and every time I come in, I am just from an hour of sitting out there, I am drenched from head to toe. It's just, it's way too hot right now, John. So I have taken to doing something that I would not recommend, which is, uh, and this is a sweet life hack, because I believe in those for all of our listeners. If you work from home right now, and you are working off of either a laptop, either a work-issued laptop or a personal laptop, 
Uh, you can just take that thing wherever and do anything. It took me like two months to realize I could just do my work from anywhere in the house and not my dedicated kind of workstation. Uh, so for the last hour or two of every day, where it's kind of too late for me to get anything done, I go to the garage and I work out and it's hotter than anything I've ever experienced. It's like for the last hour of my day every day, I get to live in hell uh, and I soak through all my clothes. It's really, truly horrible. Yeah. Life it's, hack. <laughs> it's a total nightmare. It's great. Life hack. Life hack. Or you could do the dishes or whatever. You know, you can take that laptop anywhere. Yeah. So I, I learned uh, this was when Jamie was out for a week because she was actually on site somewhere. And I learned that I could just spend the entire day in bed and technically also be at work. And I did it for about a week uh, and, and even took, like, I would still move back to my old desk for my, you know, my daily meeting. And I, I did one meeting in bed and, like, said, hey, my back hurts. That's why I'm in bed. Oh, no. <laughs> and, uh, you know, suddenly, you know, it was an issue. So then I moved back to the desk for, like, work stuff. But, like, I gradually would start my morning at the desk and just sort of, like, gravitate slowly to the couch and so I would do work on the couch and took a few meetings on the couch before my supervisor was like where are you are you sitting on the floor and I was like no I'm just you know on the couch and that was met with like a look of disdain oh no so I was like okay message received (laughs) back to the desk just for meetings so my life hack is do whatever you want work wherever you want but if you have a meeting, look, make it look like you're sitting somewhere where you should be doing work. Yeah, get an appropriate wall. I will say the counter to my life hack is a few days ago, I won't say the day, I did wake up very hungover. Oh, not no. The, like, not the like fun kind of hangover that I used to have in my 20s where my head just hurt. My hangovers are now just the symptoms of massive dehydration and nausea. Like my tongue's all fat and I want to throw up. Yeah. Uh, just my, and I'm sweating and my body hurts. Like it's not the fun, cute hangovers anymore. Uh, but I woke up really hungover and I was just like thrashing around in bed, feeling terrible. Uh, and, uh, Allison, who was taking care of me and being very nice, was like, do you want me to bring you your laptop so you can you can start work? And I was like, no, you mean I have to work when I'm hungover now? Yeah. I used to just be able to not go in. <laughs> now I, uh, I don't have an excuse. No, it's true. Like, uh, you know, the past couple of weeks for me haven't been like the easiest <laughs> Um, I don't know, I don't think I've ever gotten into it on the podcast, but like, I just, there's a lot of shit going on in my life personally. So yeah, some nights I've been, I don't know, drinking more than I normally do. And the next morning is always the fucking worst. I I can no longer drink without repercussion. Like my body, my liver, my stomach have all aged to the point of like, we want to punish you for drinking too much. So I will wake up and, like, within an hour of, like, quote, starting my day, roll out of bed and immediately grab, like, a ginger ale to down to settle my stomach. And then, like, around 6 o'clock in the evening, finally feel well enough 
to be like, yay, I survived my hangover. But that's an entire day's worth of work in the meantime. Do you remember when hangovers were sharp? Like, hangovers were sensitivity light. Hangovers were pretty nasty headaches. But your body was spry, and you could get out of bed, and you could do stuff. You would just be irritable and headachey all day. I, I remember it. Oh, sorry. And then at some point, hangovers just became the flu. Right, no. Yeah, I remember a time when... Okay, one, I remember a time where I could drink as much as I wanted and I wouldn't get hangovers at all. Oh, those were the days. I know. That, that was very early days of my drinking habits. And then, yeah, I remember hangovers were all headaches and they would all go away like an hour or two after I woke up. But now it's like hangovers are all day nausea and like just feeling like you're going to be sick and like going to work knowing you're rolling the dice on like am I going to be able to make it to a bathroom in time if I if, if, if you know if push comes to shove but like sucking it up and doing it anyway cuz it's like my drinking would be a problem if I can't go to work the next day so yeah. I can't admit I have a problem it it used to be I remember that I used to be able to drink to a point of total incoherency. And I would wake up and I would have what was my version of the worst hangover ever, which is a sharp headache that lasts for maximum three and a half hours, usually ended when I eat, like, McDonald's and a large sweet tea or something. Uh, Like, the first meal would, like, break the hangover. I'm, like, ready to go work at my shitty minimum wage, boss. Right. Uh, But now, yeah, hangovers are, like... Hangovers used to be like getting stabbed and then they would remove the knife and you'd heal. Now, hangovers are like getting stabbed and they just break the knife off in your body. Right. And Sucks. you spend yeah, you spend the whole next day like slowly waiting for that knife to slide out on its own cuz nothing else will get it out but time. Yeah, and and then slowly you heal. Uh, we're old, Henry. Yeah, you know, I turned 30 in 18 days. Ooh, you're getting that Majora's Mask moon countdown going on. Yeah. No, like, I I joked, my parents were like, oh, you're turning 30 soon. And I made that joke, like, this year doesn't count. Oh, I I had a birthday in the pandemic, and people asked, someone was like, how old are you? And I truly could not remember uh, if I had passed the barrier from 30 to 31. Like, truly, genuinely, I did not know my age. Right. Yeah, you know, they always say, like, 30's the big one or whatever, you know. Not the big one. There's no big birthdays, I guess. 21's pretty big. Yeah, but, um, 16, 18, 21, and 30 are, like, the only birthdays that matter until you get an AARP card. So it's funny, because I typically... I. I I love to downplay my birthday. I don't like celebrating it, but I like it when people celebrate it for me. You know, like I don't want to arrange anything on my birthday because I don't care. But, you know, now I'm surrounded by people who love me who are like, yeah, your birthday, we got to do something. And so, like, it's weird having my 30th birthday in a pandemic where I don't, I wouldn't normally want anyone to celebrate it anyway but the fact that people aren't going to because it's a pandemic and they're right not to because it's safer for everyone involved it feels sad in a way that i 
I, for the first time ever in my life, I'm kind of sad that I can't celebrate my birthday. Well, let me tell you, Henry, it heartens me to hear that because for the last month, I have been putting together a crack team yeah, okay. of the top super spreaders. <laughs> to, to, local, local super spreaders want to meet you. Thanks. So they'll all show up in uh, just under three weeks. Nice, nice. The funny thing is, uh, like, I say that it's that, it, that I'm sad for the first time, but I'm saying that with a smile because it's new. It's, and, and it's, it's nice to be sad in new ways sometimes. Well, it's, like, refreshing because I never thought I would be sad to not be able to, to celebrate my birthday because if, if you ask me point blank, what, what do I want to do with, for my birthday, my answer will always be nothing, not acknowledge it. And move on with my life. But the fact that I can't because it's a pandemic, I don't even have the opportunity to be like, I'm above this. It's That's taken away from me. And so that's fucked up. Maybe now the true answer is you do care about your birthday. You just care about not caring about it. I think that's what it is. I feel like I get some smug, stupid, you know, anti-everything satisfaction at being able to say like other people like their birthday me i don't like my birthday like i think i feel like that gets me off a little in like a platonic way and so now that that's important to be an individual i get it well i'm always anti everything people are for like uh you know this whole america thing oh please put it in the garbage can it's over i don't know Ooh, I'm like full of uh, carbonation. On another note, I feel like Jamie was gonna like try to arrange some type of socially distanced birthday thing. So I guess stay tuned for that. Like stay my, tuned, super my spreaders. Bir- my birthday, I think, is like falls on an actual Saturday this year. So oh like we wow! Could, yeah, we could do something on the actual day. Well, I know how much you hate your birthday, so I guess I won't do anything, even if invited. If you're invited, show up or I'll be sad, and I'll think that this is finally it. This is finally the end of the podcast. He jokes about it every chance he gets, but this is the one. This is the one that will actually change our world forever. I've got some bad news, Henry. What's up? Well, this is not the end of the podcast. This is the end of this podcast. Holy fuck, you're doing it to me right now. Well, not the end of Zero Credits, but the end of Zero Credits 192? 193. God, we're really getting up there. Yeah, you've got like seven episodes to, to, you know, we discussed off air. You've got seven episodes to do what you want to do. Uh, don't, eh, and, you know, there's a pandemic, there's a lot going on, uh, you know, but, uh, there's a lot Is there, could we just, this is from a back of house stuff, could we just, like, turn over the, uh, like, the files to a Fiverr person and be like, hey, do something with this? I mean, probably. We could probably find someone who would do, like, an actual thing to it. That would be fun. I don't know. we live in a city of contractors and freelancers. There's got to be somebody. And speaking of somebody... 
somebody has to do the social media reads, and since I'm doing the edit no, I was this trying week, to, uh, nose tr- goes. What? We're trying to move away from saying who's doing the editing this week. Okay, fine. We can cut that part out. Anyway, Henry, somebody has to read the social media who isn't editing this week, which is me. (laughs) And that leaves me to do the social media. Let's do it. If you want to get in contact with us and tell us how we could do anything in our lives better, uh, get get at us on Twitter at ZCPCWHJ on Twitter.com. And my good friend John knows what that stands for. That's right. That stands for we wanted to defund the police, demilitarize the police, but apparently we're still electing the police. That's right. That is right. There's no way around it. That's what's happening. And if you want to send us a longer email... Um, even longer than a standard length email, you absolutely can. Standard length, everyone knows what that means. But you can send us a longer one, it doesn't matter. Just send us an email to email at zerocredits.net and we'll respond in a timely and fashionable manner. You can also find us on Spotify if you search for zero credit, open parenthesis, S, close parenthesis, on the podcast section of Spotify, we are going up against Joe Rogan in September. So please, let us get a head start. Find us on Spotify. Click click on us. Defeat Joe Rogan. We're also on Apple Podcast, uh, and you can find us the normal way there. Zero credits, however you want to spell it, as long as you spell it correctly. And uh, the thing about Apple Podcasts is you got to rate and review us there. That's the thing. you got to give us some stars. you got to leave a review. Otherwise, we're just never going to get anywhere. And that's going to be sad. And we'll be real sad. Is there anything else we do? Yeah, just no. the most important one. Is there anything else? Anything else we do? Are, are there any other words you could say with your uh, mouth? Is there anything else we do? Yeah, I don't think so. Uh, Alright, so I've been wearing a mask lately, and uh, that's pretty cool. And the thing is, like, you can't see my mouth, but if you've got ears, and you're not hearing impaired, you can still hear the words from my mouth, and that's pretty cool, because word of mouth is the only way we can survive. So tell a friend to listen to us, and, uh, you know, just give them an episode you liked, they don't have to start at the beginning. God knows we were not as good as we are now. And God knows we are not as good as we were when we were good. Tell them to listen to a random episode and that'll be cool because word of the mouth is the only way you can survive in this weird pandemic world that we live in. Yeah, they'll either get a good one, a bad one, or kind of a really bad one. Uh... What what television show would you say our our good to bad variability is the closest to? Um, what in terms of our ratio of good episodes to bad episodes? Which TV show do you think we are the closest to in that ratio? I guess I'm I could just... go with Star Trek Voyager, and from everyone here <laughs> at the zero credits. Five bedroom, five bedroom, five bedroom, bed five room studios. We want to wish you a happy week. 
I was just starting to think, I guess I could do some of my thinking out loud when you jumped in with Voyager, which was better. So, uh, goodbye! <laughs>